As we look at, uh, once again, one of the most significant visions or symbols or signs that we see in the book of Revelation because we're going to see today as we're studying the sounding of the seventh trumpet that the significance of the seventh trumpet is this is the most monumental, epic, um, life-changing, world-changing event that will have ever taken place on the face of the earth. That's how significant this passage of Scripture is today. And so if you have your Bibles, let's just let's open them up to the book of Revelation chapter 11 as we spent some time last week looking at the ministry of the two witnesses who uh, I believe are Elijah and Moses who will return in bodily form wearing sackcloth, calling the, the world to repentance during their earthly ministry, which is about three and a half years long. Um, and we're going to see how they are connected to the calling down of the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. And, and they are given authority to strike the earth with plagues as often as they like. you got this supernatural showdown taking place between Moses and Elijah and then the beast and the false prophet. And it's going to replay itself out in, in many ways like it did in the days of the Exodus as, as Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and his magicians in those days. And so um, now we're coming to uh, the pivotal seventh trumpet, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And so if you have your Bibles, let's just jump right in from Revelation chapter 11 this morning as we look at verses 15 through 19. Revelation 11, 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, now I want you to pay very close attention to what the people in heaven are saying, the, the, this great multitude of witnesses in heaven. Very much like they were in Revelation 7 when we saw the multitude of witnesses waving palm branches in their hands, ushering in the Lord to his return. And this is very similar language, but look at what they say. The kingdom of the world... Now, let me just pause real quick. I don't want to start preaching before I finish reading. Who is in control of the kingdom of the world right now? Satan is. He has authority. It's his world. He's the ruler of the world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's, he is the deceiver of the whole. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, remember? So that's why our world, in many regards, is so just frankly messed up. Okay, we contribute a lot to that, but this, this is the, the, the kingdoms of the world belong to the power and authority of Satan as of right now. Okay, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, they fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Normally, we would see another phrase right there. He who is and who was and who... But they left that out. Interesting, right? Just to tell you why, because he's coming. This is the passage where he's coming. There's no more is to come. He is coming, right? So to he who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. 
They gave it their best, right? The beast and the Antichrist and the nations, they, they raged against the Lord and His Messiah. They, they tried everything that they could do to come against the Lamb who was slain. But look, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, all those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Remember Revelation 9, the Manticore army coming up out of the bottomless pit. Everywhere they go, they leave a path of what? Destruction. Everywhere they go. He comes to destroy them, to destroy the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So what's happening here in the seventh trumpet? So full disclosure, if you look at my little chart here, see the lightning bolt at the top? The return, the rapture, the resurrection of the dead, and the rewarding of the saints all happen same time. That's the seventh trumpet. Boom. That's what we're about to look at in full detail right now. This is the what? It's the end. This is the end right here. The return of Jesus coming to wage war against the Antichrist and his armies, the battle of Armageddon and everything in between that. And you may say, well, I didn't read that in the passage that we just read in Revelation 11. Well, we're going we're gonna to break it all down for you today as we look at the seventh trumpet. So there you see, as we just read, pay attention to the loud voices. That's, that's going to be significant um, as we see these loud voices over and over again throughout the scriptures. And there's a, there's a connection we'll see in just a minute to the day of trumpets or the feast of trumpets. Okay, so let's just break this down real quickly. These are the, the things described to us. These are the things that will happen on the day that the seventh trumpet is sounded. Okay, this is what the scripture clearly says. God's kingdom has come to earth as it is in heaven. It's the first thing that happens here. The second thing that happens is that the dead have been raised. There's a resurrection in view here. The dead are going to be judged. Well, how are the dead going to be judged unless they're what? Unless they're raised. So the, so the resurrection, I believe, is very clearly in view here. He judges the earth in righteousness. So this is when Jesus comes to judge the earth. Jesus is treading the nations as the king of kings. And he is on his throne in Jerusalem because he has begun to reign. Now, Jesus is not fully reigning and ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords until he comes back to the earth and he's ruling from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. He destroys the destroyers of the earth and the saints, all of the saints from all time, the prophets, the saints, all servants of God are at this time rewarded and given their inheritance. That's what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. Now, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, uh, this is what Paul says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Very same language. The author of Hebrews says, For we know that vengeance is mine. I will repay again, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So let's, let's recap real quick, because remember, we, we went through the progression of the six trumpets, and I shared with you the purposes or the biblical purposes of trumpets. 
These are the main primary purposes of the trumpets. And the first four are really, or the first three are in view with the first six trumpets in my estimation. So you've got the sounding of an alarm or the giving of a warning. Now remember the two witnesses who are alive during this time and they're connected to the calling down of the trumpet judgments and even the bowl judgments and they're wearing what? Sackcloth. And sackcloth is always connected to calling people to repent. So the first six trumpet judgments, as devastating as they will be and as terrifying as they will be, they are still giving people a chance and time and opportunity to repent. They're also declaring the appointed feast. The trumpets were were given to the people of God to declare the appointed feast. We'll see that in just a minute. They also were declaring a battle cry, a war cry. To rally the troops, you would sound the trumpet, everybody would gather, and it's time to go to battle. And this is ultimately a battle of good versus evil during this time of great tribulation. The trumpets were also given to God's people to gather God's people together. We're going to see that here in full view in just a moment. And then the, the trumpet was also given to announce the arrival of the king, to blow before the king as his uh, royal procession would head back into the capital city. They would blow trumpets to announce the arrival and the procession of the king. And then they would also blow trumpets when they coronated the king. At the coronation of the king, there was trumpet judgment. So these are some of the biblical purposes of trumpets. And then you can see that in Num- Numbers chapter 10. It says, when you are at war in your land against your adversary who oppresses you, you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. And it may be remembered before the Lord your God, so you may be remembered, and you shall be saved from your enemies on the day of your gladness also for your appointed feast and the beginnings of your months. Blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and sacrifices and your peace offerings, and they will be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So let me just give you the, the, synap- the, the summary of the seventh trumpet. So this is kind of the, the big picture, and we'll, we'll kind of work down from there. Okay, so the seventh trumpet signifies the end of this present age. When Messiah comes down in power and glory to destroy his enemies, remember, he's destroying the destroyers of the earth, he's going to judge, and he's going to establish his what? Establish his kingdom. As it is in heaven, Lord, what do we pray? Lord, let your kingdom come on this earth. We pray that, and we never stop praying that until he, until he comes, right? And this seventh trumpet is the picture when Jesus comes. All right, now let's talk about types and shadows, because as I've showed you guys time and time again, when we look at the Old Testament, it's going to give us the prophetic pictures and patterns of what we read in the book of Revelation. What's the very first type and shadow in the Old Testament? Well, I'd say this isn't the first, but this is the clearest to me. It's when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Let's read that, Joshua chapter 6. Remember, trumpets, seventh trumpet. What's all this business about the seventh? Well, if you're a literate reader of the Bible and you're a a follower of the Lord and you're a student of the Word of God, when you hear seven trumpets or the seventh trumpet, immediately your mind should go back to the battle of Jericho. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. 
do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets. Okay. These are shofars, the ram's horn, before the ark, the ark of the covenant. What did we just read in Revelation chapter 11? Then heaven was opened and we saw the what? The ark of the covenant. Do you think that there's a mistake there? Do you think that there's not supposed to be a connection there? Absolutely there's a connection there. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. How many trumpets? Seven trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And then this is how it happened. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day. That's interesting. They marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, everyone straight before him, and they captured the city. And so we see already in the story of Joshua in the Battle of Jericho that this idea of a seventh trumpet, seven priests, seven times, seven trumpets, and what happens at the blowing of the seventh trumpet in the Joshua's day? The walls come down, and Joshua who shares the same Hebrew name with who? Yeshua, Jesus. The Lord is our salvation. Joshua leading the Israelites into enemy territory and conquering the city. The first stronghold to fall in the promised land was given over to the Israelites on that day. So there you see a pattern, okay? So that, that matters, okay? So as we move forward, we're going to see also that there's a connection to what we call Yom Teruah. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, guys, I want to encourage every one of you. This is something that has been lost in the North American church. It's really been lost in the church at large. Historically, is that we have forgotten the Feast of the Lord. Go study Leviticus chapter 23, and we need to be reacquainted with the Feast of the Lord. Now, Yom Teruah uh, was called the, the day of what? Shouting. So you have trumpets are going to be sounding and you've got people who are going to be shouting and the whole community of believers is just in celebration and joy during this feast. And we're going to see why this feast is so very important. So the Feast of Trumpets, okay, it's also called Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year, the, the, the new year. The Feast of Trumpets is connected. Now listen, this is what's so fascinating about the Feast of Trumpets. It's always connected historically to the resurrection of the dead. So a, a feast day, the Lord gave the Israelites the feasts. Let me tell you why. He gave them to be dress rehearsals. They're called mikras. What do I mean by that? Every year when the Jews got together on Passover, for instance, they would take their what? Little lamb. Four days would examine him, and then they would go and they would do what? They would kill the lamb, and they would celebrate the Passover. Year after year after year after year. They were rehearsing something more prophetic. 
What were they rehearsing every single year? They were rehearsing the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who was to be slain for the forgiveness of their sins. Oh, by the way, when did Jesus die? Passover. You tracking with me? Feast of unleavened bread. Jesus remained in the ground. His body did not suffer decay. Feast of first fruits. Jesus what? Resurrected from the dead. He is the first fruits from among the dead. You see what I'm saying? So every year the Jewish people would rehearse the feast, whether they understood it or recognized it or not. They were doing this to rehearse and to practice the greater fulfillment of the feast that were to be fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts in his first coming. He fulfilled Passover, unleavened bread, and the first fruits, and the day of Pentecost all were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. There are three fall feasts. Matter of fact, they're coming up here in just a few weeks in September. Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus will fulfill the fall feasts at his what? Second coming. He fulfilled the spring feast in his first coming. He's fulfilling the fall feast in his second coming. So the Yom Teruah, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, is connected to the resurrection of the dead, and this is what they call the awakening blast. Now this is significant, okay? This is called, let me see if I can uh, pronounce this for you. It's called Tekiah HaGadol, the awakening blast, okay? This was what was called the last trumpet at the Feast of Trumpets. It was the loudest and the longest and the last trumpet during this Feast of Trumpets. And it was called to be the awakening blast because it was said to be so loud and so long and it was to be the last trumpet so that it would almost wake people up out of the what? Out of their graves, right? To wake people up out of their sleeps. It was, it was called the awakening blast, okay? And the Feast of Trumpets is also connected to the return of Messiah with this celebratory nature of shouting and rejoicing in the Lord. This is coming from Leviticus 23, on the first day of the month, the seventh month of the year, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial day proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. This is a dress rehearsal. The people of God would do this every single year. And again, as a prophetic picture of what is to come ultimately in Jesus Christ. So this is Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening blast. There's a couple of Old Testament passages that kind of touch on this. It says, your dead will live, their bodies shall rise, Isaiah 26. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, shout for joy. There's that connection of the resurrection and the shouting and the singing and the celebration of God's people. For the Lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come. The Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. These are, these are passages connected to the Feast of Trumpets. And of course we see Paul echoing this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at what he says. Remember, Feast of Trumpets, okay? We'll talk more in detail about what it is in just a minute. But these are loud blasts of the shofar trying to wake the whole congregation up and announced the beginning of the new year, and announced the first day of the seventh month, and it was to be a holy day of rest. Paul says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel. I have no idea what that sounds like, but I can imagine it's very loud and very distinguishable. 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. See, Paul, when he's writing this, he is a literate Jew. He celebrated the Feast of Trumpets every single year. He's connecting the resurrection of the dead and this great shout, this cry, this loud cry from heaven with the day of trumpets or the Feast of Trumpets. Okay? So let's talk about this idea about the day and hour that no one knows. I hear this all the time from the teachings of Jesus. So let's, let's talk about this real quick. Okay? Let's go, to, let's go to Matthew 24, and let's just see what we can discover about this particular passage. Because I get this all the time, and I just want to bring some clarity to it, okay? So, Matthew 24, in verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with what? There's your trumpet, okay? And they will gather his elect. What, remember, one of the purposes of trumpets is to what? Gather God's people. So, so the sounding of the trumpet is gathering God's people from the four winds of the one in the heaven of the other. And then as you keep reading, look at what Jesus says. When you see all of these things, you know that he is near, even at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay, and we, we read that and we say, see, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Okay, I agree. Nobody knows the, the day. Certainly nobody knows the hour. You'll never hear me predict a day. Never gonna, I'm not a date setter. But what did he say just before that? But when you see all these things, you know that he is what? He's, he's close. It's getting nearer. We recognize the signs of his return as it's in the season of his coming. We're not going to know the day or the hour, but we know when it's very what? Very near. And then he goes on to say for us to what? Keep watch. Therefore, stay awake, right? For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what part of the night in the thief was coming, in other words, the general season of when Jesus was returning, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. In other words, we're called to stay awake, to be observant, to discern the signs of the times. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So what's this idea about the day and the hour? Well, as I begin to look at the Feast of Trumpets, there's an interesting little dynamic about this feast. Okay, all the other, there's seven feasts of the Lord given to Israel. Six of the feasts have a dedicated day on the calendar. You know exactly which day it's going to be each year. One of the feasts, you don't know when it's going to be. Guess which feast that is? The Feast of Trumpets. Do you know why you don't know when the Feast of Trumpets is going to be every year? It's because the only way that you could determine when the beginning, the first day of the seventh month was here, which was the beginning of the, the new year for Israel, was that you had to send two witnesses out into the early morning sky, just before dawn. And they would go and observe the sky. And what were they looking for? 
They're looking for the new moon. Now, we have modern-day calculations, so we know when the new moon will emerge in the night sky today. Did they have those modern calculations back then? So how did they know when the Feast of Trumpets began? How did they know which day the Feast of Trumpets would be? They didn't. They knew about when the Feast of Trumpets would begin. So let's say it's the day before the showing of the new moon. They would send their two witnesses out there into the early morning sky and they would wait to see the new moon emerge in the sky. And if they didn't see it, they said it's not the day they would go back. Then the next day they would go back out to look for the emergence of the new moon. In other words, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, he's saying just like it was in the Feast of Trumpets, nobody knows the precise what? Day. Because it's something that you must what? Observe in the sky. It's the only of the seven feasts that you ha- That's the only way you could determine when the Feast of Trumpets began. Was by observing the night sky. And that's why Jesus is he's alluding to this time of Feast of Trumpets when he's saying nobody's going to know the exact day or the hour just like nobody knew the exact day or the hour when the Feast of Trumpets began because you had to wait for the new moon to emerge. But Jesus didn't say we wouldn't know when he was coming. He just said you wouldn't know the exact day. But he said you would know when my return is very, very near. In, in Hebrew, it's called the hidden day. Very, very interesting. You can go uh, find more about this if you want to go chase that one down a little bit. And so during this hidden day, the high priest would send two witnesses out to observe the night sky, as I said, to try to find out if the new moon was emerging in the night sky. And so it was traditionally, uh, the, the people of God traditionally tried to stay awake that night so that they could be awake when they began to sound the trumpet. So basically what happened, the two witnesses would see the emergence of the new moon, they would go back to the high priest on the temple mount, and they would say, we have seen the moon on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is the first day of the seventh month, the, whole, the new year has begun, and then the priests would begin sounding the what? The trumpets. And that's how it went every single year. That's what Jesus is talking about When he says, no one knows the day or the hour. But hear me, people. Hear me. We will know when his return is near. Very, very near. Okay? Because there are certain signs and things that must take place for us to see before Jesus returns. Such as the two witnesses. Such as the abomination of desolation. Such as the trumpet judgments. Such as the bold judgments. We will see these things happening that will give us an idea. His return is very near even at the door. Let's talk real quick about what it means to crown the king. On Solomon's day of coronation they blew the trumpet. Now look at these two psalms. i got to read these two psalms for you because they're fascinating. Who are we waiting for? King Jesus. We're waiting for the day that King Jesus steps out of heaven and comes to earth so that his kingdom comes on the earth as it is in heaven. Look at these psalms. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under his feet and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is King of the whole earth. Sing praises 
with a psalm. We're waiting that day. Hasn't happened yet. There's going to be the sounding of the seventh trumpet. It's going to be the sounding when our king comes. And we're going to sing praises to our God. God reigns over the nations and sits on his holy throne. Fascinating. Now look at Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered the steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Has the whole earth seen the salvation of our God? Hasn't happened yet. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the God, to the Lord with the lyre and the sound of the melody with trumpets and the sound of the shofar, the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. So this trumpet business, guys, is all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Now, just like Joshua gave us a prophetic pattern of the seventh trumpet, we also have the ultimate theophany. That's just a a fancy word for God appeared to mankind. He did that at Sinai. We need to be familiar with Exodus and Mount Sinai. The theophany of the Lord at Mount Sinai is the most complete prophetic pattern of the return of Jesus to the earth. Remember, when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, He came in human form. Did you know that? Moses and the elders saw the form of the Lord. Who's the image of the invisible God? Jesus. Jesus was the one who came down on Mount Sinai to touch the earth. What happened on that day? Again, you see here that in Revelation 11, look at the language. There was lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, heavy hail. Well, that's what happened on Sinai. On the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. And on that third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning. Thick cloud was on the mountain, and a very loud blast of the ram's horn went out. Again, a trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Okay, this is a, such a loud blast of the trumpet that the people are trembling at the sound. Mount Sinai was completely wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke rose like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. There was an earthquake. And the sound of the ram's horn, shofar, trumpet, grew louder and louder And Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Guys, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. This seventh trumpet is like the trumpet on Joshua's day. It's like the trumpet in Mount Sinai. It's like the awakening blast of the Feast of Trumpets, which is the long and loudest and last blast of the trumpet on that special day. And the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai. This is the day that the Lord came down. Fascinating picture, prophetic picture of what it will be like when Jesus returns. I'm going to skip that real quick. Now, let's talk about this other language. When you start reading through the Bible, you start looking up trumpets in the Bible, there's something called the trumpet of God. Could the trumpet of God be the same as the seventh trumpet? Well, let's find out. The seventh trumpet, again, 
This is my interpretation. It is the trumpet of God. I'm, I'm too simple to try to overthink this stuff. When you start talking about trumpets and, and all these things, the, the descriptions match. To me, it's the same event. Okay, I don't, I don't try to overthink it. It will cause all the tribes of the earth to mourn, and the whole earth will tremble in God's presence. Let's look at some scriptures that talk about the trumpet of God. Isaiah 27. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Has that happened yet? Okay, let's, let's think about it. Antichrist enters into Jerusalem. He sets up the abomination that causes desolation. He then commences to take the people of God who are living in Jerusalem and Judea into concentration camps all over the world. Captivity. Exile. When Jesus returns on the day of the great trumpet of God, the seventh trumpet, he's going to bring all the captives back to Jerusalem to what? To worship. He's literally going to set the captives free. This is a prophetic passage of Scripture. When all of God's people are gathered to come worship Him on His holy mountain. Zephaniah 1.14 The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. It is the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. So a mighty man will cry aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish and ruin and devastation. Darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of what? A trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities. Remember Jericho? Fortified city? Same thing. Against the lofty battlements. The Antichrist will have fortified battlements. He'll have fortified cities. He's going to have his kingdom you know, at its zenith on the earth when Jesus comes to lay all these cities to waste. He will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dusk. And their flesh like dung. He minces no words here. Heavy language. Zechariah 9.14 Then the Lord will appear over them and His arrow will go forth like lightning and the Lord God will sound the trumpet. You see guys, when you start reading these things in Scripture, okay, we can make this whole thing very convoluted and very confusing or we can say this is all talking about the same event. That's the only way I look at it. It's either the same event or this is all just a bunch of hoops that we have to jump, acrobats that we have to jump through to try to make something fit our perspective. The Lord will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. On that day, the Lord will save his people as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his land. Zechariah 9, 15 and 16. Joel 2, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. Here comes the Lord, he utters his voice before his army. For the day is great and awesome, who can endure it? So will be the coming of the Son of Man. As lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Immediately after tribulation of those days, when all the sun is darkened and all these signs in heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken... Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see, with their eyes, when they see 
the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory and with a loud trumpet call. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. What happened on Mount Sinai? The Lord what? Came down. He descended from heaven to the earth. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, come down with the cry of a command and the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God. All this language is intentional. And so that's why when I, when I show you my chart, and I'm, I'm not the authority on this issue, I just try to let Scripture speak for itself, but that's why when I look at this chart, I believe that the seventh trumpet is talking about the return of Jesus, the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the dead, and the rewarding of the saints. All of those things are always connected, they're always together in Scripture. The rapture of the church is always connected to the resurrection of the dead. Every single time. These things are also connected to the, our getting our great reward. Okay, so all of these things, I believe, are connected. Let's take a look at some of these a little bit more in detail. So we've got the day of shouting. We've got uh, Mount Sinai. The time of Joshua gives us a picture of what's happening. We've got the trumpet of God that's all throughout the Old Testament and the New and then Paul tells us, he gives us another time stamp. The Apostle Paul says that we will be changed and the dead will be raised at the what? Last trumpet. How many trumpets do we have in the book of Revelation? Which one is this? It's the last one. There are no more trumpets after this. Oh, but wait, Brother Marcus, Paul wrote this like 20 years or 40 years before uh, John wrote Revelation. He didn't have any idea about the seven trumpets. Did he know about Joshua's day? Did he know about the seven trumpets in, in Joshua's day? Did he know about all the great trumpet calls in, in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Did he know Jesus' teaching? Absolutely. That, that's not an argument, guys. When Paul says the last trumpet, he means what? The last trumpet. How can there be another trumpet after the last trumpet? I've never heard anybody be able to explain that to me yet. When he says the last trumpet, he's talking about the last trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet. So we have the last, this happens on the last day when God resurrects the righteous in glorified bodies and he gathers his people to himself. Let's talk about this in the last trumpet. Now remember, in Revelation 10, John is told that at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be what? Fulfilled. There would be no more delay. No more delay. How, what's the thing that we struggle with as Christians today, guys? Lord, why won't you just come back? Lord, how, how, much, how much longer do we have to what? Wait. Are, are you struggling with that? I struggle with that sometimes. God, why don't you just come on back and let's get on with this? Why do you delay? Why do you tarry? Oh, well... He tells us that at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there will be no more delay. He will tarry no longer. Amen. He's coming. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. We have been born in the image of man of dust. That's Adam. We will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Praise God. That's Jesus. I tell you this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, you, you cannot enter into God's kingdom in these mortal bodies. Amen. Ain't going to happen. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. It's a euphemism for death. But we will all be what? Changed. That's a promise. When? Is it in a, twi- in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet? Oh, no, that's not the last trumpet. That's just, it's just what he calls it. And then there's other trumpets after. No, no, no. Guys, it's the last trumpet. We will be changed. And then it gives us another timestamp. And the dead will be. When are the dead raised? On the last day. At the last trumpet. Very, very clear. We will be raised imperishable. Why do we have to be raised imperishable and receive new bodies? Because we're getting ready to inherit the kingdom. Because his kingdom is coming. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Now I want to spend just a second here. Again, this is the classic rapture passage of the church. We are called up together to meet the Lord. But who else is being raised up? The dead are being raised. Okay? Look at what it says. We are called up together with them, those who are getting resurrected bodies, in the clouds. Key word right here. To meet. To meet the Lord in the what? Guys, that word air is just the atmosphere. We're meeting the Lord where? In the atmosphere. Now, that word meet is significant. Let me tell you why. It's only used three times in Scripture. It's a, it is a specific word that, that Paul uses. And let me tell you what it is. It's the word apentasis. Apentasis. This is what the word literally means. It's a specific word. The word is used only to describe a group of people who goes out to meet a caravan or a king or a returning army and to usher them where? Back into the city. Look at what it says. Matthew 25. The virgins in uh, Matthew 25. At midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Here's the picture of the ten virgins. The virgins that were awake and prepared, they heard the cry, the bridegroom is what? He's coming. Let's go out to meet him as we welcome him back for the marriage. That's what that word means. Oh, well, Paul does it again in Acts 28. Look at what it says. And there were brothers in Rome. And when they heard that Paul and his group was coming to Rome, they came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to what? Meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And then we came into Rome. It's the same word, and it's a specific word that means you go meet someone to only come back with them at the very same time. It doesn't mean you go meet somebody to go away. You go meet them to come back. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, we see this over and over in Jesus' teaching. And just in case you were in, in doubt of when the resurrection takes place... Jesus tells us when the resurrection takes place. He says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the... Now, is there another day after the last day? 
So our resurrection takes place on the last day. I don't see how anybody can get around that, guys. It takes place at the last trumpet on the last day when the dead are raised imperishable so that we can inherit the kingdom. Again, Jesus, all of these scriptures are so relevant. Look at what he says. This is an an amazing parable. The one who sows the seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. When is this final harvest, this final gathering of God's people? End of the age. The reapers are angels. The weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. He'll gather out of His kingdom all the things that cause sin and all the lawbreakers. He's going to throw them into the furnace. But at that time, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen. We will be sons of the resurrection. We will be equal to the angels as sons of the resurrection. This is fascinating. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look at what it says. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to, to corruption and obtain freedom when? It will do this when we will have our adoption as sons and the redemption of our Bodies. When will the whole creation be set free from bondage to corruption? When our bodies are what? Resurrected. And we will be glorified in a state of glorification just like Jesus. Amen. That happens again at the end. So let's wrap this thing up as we look at the kingdom of God. There's so many other passages that I could... I could share with you guys, but I just want to finish here as we look at the kingdom of God. So the angel, the loud voices in heaven, they say the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Remember, what did the devil tell Satan? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give you the authority and their glory for it's been delivered unto me. So right now the devil has authority over the kingdoms of the world. You see, in Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves against the Lord and His anointed. But then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is coming to establish His kingdom. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with Him and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and His name one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. This is the seventh trumpet when He comes to sit. And then He's going to give the kingdom to who? To us. We get to inherit His kingdom and rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. He was given dominion and glory so that all people and nations and languages will serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom will not be destroyed. And He gives us the dominion with Him. I could go on and on, but I want to to spend just one second looking at the Ark of the Covenant because I think this is kind of fascinating to me, okay, as, as I wrap this up. 
in Revelation 11, verse 19, after we see the description of the seventh trumpet and all the things that are going to happen in connection to the seventh trumpet, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and he saw the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what the Ark of the Covenant is? It's God's chariot throne. God has a fascinating throne. Did you know that? It's got wheels on it. The wheels are interchanging with wheels. All the wheels have eyes on them. A lot of people think that it's some type of alien spaceship. You go read Ezekiel 1. We're going to see it in just a second. This is unlike anything that you... He rides on a chariot throne. I'm serious. That is the Ark of the Covenant in heaven right now is God's what? He sits on it as a throne, but it's also a mode of transportation. You don't believe me? God's temple was opened and we saw the Ark of the Covenant. So what is the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of heaven? Well, if you remember, in Revelation 4, it says, I saw that there was a throne in heaven. Psalm 99 says this, The Lord reigns and the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the what? The cherubim. You ever seen the Ark of the Covenant? Look at the Ark of the Covenant. What was on the Ark? Two cherubim. He sits upon them. And the first voice, excuse me, it says, The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over the peoples. Exalt the Lord and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Amen. Look, guys, listen to this throne. I've got, I got, got to spend some time here. This is fascinating. This is Ezekiel's vision of the throne of God. I saw fire that was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of lightning. So these things are just flashing. Okay. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creature. So every living creature has a what? A wheel. It's a chariot for each of the four of them. And the appearance of the wheels and their construction and the appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had some likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a... I don't know what a wheel within a wheel is, but it's fascinating. So Ezekiel's trying to describe to us what this chariot throne looks like. He lays the beams of the chambers on the waters. He makes the cloud his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, the ministers of flame of fire. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. God rides a chariot throne that is called the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. It's fascinating. Daniel 7, his throne was fiery and its wheels were burning fire. What a cool thing. And of course, at the sixth seal, when all the tribes of the earth are running for the mountains to hide, what are they trying to hide from? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. That's the Ark of the Covenant. God is riding his throne out of heaven, coming to earth to judge the wicked, and they're trying to Hide, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Fascinating stuff. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up. Guys, if you didn't get anything out of this message today, here's the thing I want you to, here's the thing I want you to take home, okay? Everybody in this room, deep, deep down, you have a deep desire that is not going to be satisfied. Stay with me. Listen to me. You want to be healthy and live forever. You're tired of all the sin and the chaos and the evil in the world. 
You're tired of struggling financially. You're tired of having relationship problems. You're tired of battling pornography and addiction. You're tired of the world and all the confusion and all the division that we see in our world today. You're tired of feeling old and tired and working your job and finding out that there's too much month at the end of your money. You're tired. Everybody's tired of this world. Do you know why? Because everything that you want and that you long for deep, deep down in your heart, that's what heaven is. That's what heaven is, guys. Every time I hear somebody that's struggling and I try to empathize with you because I've been there too. I have bad days, terrible days. Some days are just like that. Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, right? Some, some days are just like that. And people are struggling with all kind of different problems and, and, and discouragement. And sometimes I just have to look at them and I have to say, listen, everything that you're struggling with right now is the fact that you're not in heaven. And you're going to struggle with these things until God's kingdom, what? Until his kingdom comes. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. So why did the Lord teach us to pray? Lord, your will be done. Your what? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And guys, until the day that Jesus comes on the sounding of the seventh trumpet and we're raised imperishable and given new bodies to inherit the kingdom, until that day comes, listen to me, every person that you introduce to Jesus Christ and they come to trust in him and become a new creation in Christ, they get to inherit that kingdom. They get to participate in those blessings. They get to have the hope and the promise that you have. I don't know how people get through life without Jesus. I just don't. It's hard enough with him. It's impossible to get through life without him. Maybe that's why there is so much drug abuse and suicide rates are so high and people are just trying to escape. Because without Jesus, this world has no hope. Amen. So what does that mean for you and me? We have hope. We ought to tell somebody. You don't have to be afraid to die. You, you don't have to be without hope. You don't have to be discouraged because you, there is a God who loves you and there is a God who's come to give a relationship with you and make your, the forgiveness of your sins possible. There, there, is a, there is good news, guys. Turn off the news. Amen. We need to share the good news as much as we possibly can. And then we, we need to prepare. Things are happening so fast, guys. Things are happening so fast. Our world will never be the same. You know that, right? Y'all know that, right? It ain't going back to normal. So where is it going to go from here? He's coming. We need to be prepared. Will you pray with me today? Father, I just want to thank you so much for opening our eyes to see the, the promise that we have that on the day of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, your kingdom will come. You will have judged the nations in all of your wrath. You will reward your saints. You will raise the dead. You will destroy the destroyers of the earth. And you will sit on your holy throne in Jerusalem to rule and to reign. And we will get to inherit that kingdom with you. And it will be what we have all been waiting and longing for. The peace and the joy and no more tears and no more sorrow and no more suffering, no more death, no more disease. 
Lord, that is the day that we are waiting for and we're longing for, but we wait with anticipation, with hope, knowing, God, that until that day you have given us a reason to live. And that reason is to know you and to make you known. Until you come, Lord Jesus, may we be your witnesses. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said amen. Hey.